Thank you again for listening to the Rise and Go podcast. Wanted to do a quick shout out here on where to find us on social media. On Instagram and X, we are at Elevant, M-P-L-S. That is E-L-E-V-A-N-T-M-P-L-S. And on Facebook, at Elevant. We do a lot of cool posts on there with our Elevant athletes. We do some food posts. We do some lifestyle posts. And obviously, we got the gym motivation coming at you each and every day. And as we continue to move here, we are going to have more guests coming. And we're super excited to hear others' journeys. And thank you again for supporting the Elevant brand. We love y'all. I was trying to get it live. I want them dead presidents. I want to pull up. Head spin. Get it, get flat. I got six jobs. I don't get it. Right. Scott, what's going on? How you doing today? I'm doing great, Mike. This is uh this is crazy how this all came about because you and I have been playing basketball for years and I don't think you knew what I did. I didn't know what <laughs> yeah. you did, and now we're getting to know each other more than just banging on the court. So uh I'm excited and, and happy to uh to do this with you. Uh my name is Scott Walter. I'm a forensic geologist uh, by profession and um because of that work that I did, I got involved in this TV stuff. I think we're going to talk about a little bit, but um, I uh, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you know, all the platforms. I also have a website that's uh, www.hookedx.com, spelled H-O-O-K-E-D-X.com, and uh, I've written a number of books. You can see the books on the site. If people want to buy them, we sign every one that goes out. So, And I actually have two new books coming out. I have one coming out next month and then one probably about 12 months from now. So we got a lot going on, man. I'm telling you, it's, it's crazy stuff, but it's, it's really good stuff. I mean, there's a adventurous side of all the stuff that we're doing, but there's also a very what I think important side that has to do with what's happening in society today with world history today, as we all know, things are just crazy and getting crazier every day, especially in the middle East, which is something we all have to keep an eye on. And, and this research that we're doing touches directly on, on all of that. And you'll hopefully we'll get to that point. Yeah, absolutely. You know, let's, let's kind of go back to how you got started in this world. Kind of <laughs> walk us through your background and okay. how you, you got to where you're at today. Well, um, I don't know how far back you want to want to go. I went to Chaska High School and then I went up to UMD on a football scholarship and I was fortunate enough to meet a professor. His name was Charlie Match, who he and I just got along and he challenged me when I was a freshman who was focused solely on playing football, right? I wanted to be a football player, but he really <clears throat> inspired me to get into geology. And once I got into that, I was, I was literally hooked, no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so I studied geology, uh, I went to field camp, and then I got a job working for a testing lab in St. Paul. I worked there for four and a half years, and then I had an opportunity to start my own company uh, called American Petrographic Services, where we do material forensics, basically autopsies on concrete and rock. And I started that company along with three other guys who formed an engineering firm that is now the biggest engineering firm in, in, in the upper Midwest area called American Engineering and Testing. So anyway, um, I started you know that business in 1990 and it progressed and grew and, and we did well. And, and then in July of 2000, and, and let me just back up for a second and tell you what we do. We work in the construction industry primarily, and I work uh, mostly with concrete and rock. So if the concrete cracks, it has low strength, the top peels off, if it's exposed to fire damage, anything like that, they'll take samples, they send them to us, we do the analysis, we figure out, first of all, what caused the problem, and secondly, who's responsible, who's going to pay, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> so uh, obviously that leads to a lot of litigation work. So we do a lot of testifying as expert witness and all that. So, but anyway, so that's what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And I still do it. I'm semi-retired, 
<clears throat> I turned over the, the operations of the company back in uh, 2012 when I started doing the, the TV show America on Earth, but I'll get there. So anyway, let's back up to the July of 2000 okay. when uh, I was contacted by a representative with a museum up in Alexandria, Minnesota that houses an artifact called the Kensington Runestone. And the Kensington Runestone uh, was found in the fall of 1898 by a Swedish immigrant farmer who was clearing trees in preparation for farming <clears throat> on this. He had roughly 100 acre parcel of property and he... Um, he testified that he tipped over, he cut the roots off around the base of this tree and then took a winch and tipped this tree over. And when he, the roots and the stump came out of the ground, almost directly under the tree was this 202 pound stone that had a long inscription carved in Scandinavian runes. Okay. Well, obviously this was a shock. And so it was brought, uh, <clears throat> a copy of it was brought, not the stone, a copy was brought to the University of Minnesota were uh, the uh, head professor of Scandinavian languages, a guy by the name of Olas Breda, looked at the copy, the handwritten copy of this inscription. He couldn't make heads or tails out of it. And so instead of admitting that, he said, it's a hoax and sure. made it go away. Now that set a very important precedence because in academia, uh, academics are very hesitant to step on the, um, you know, the reputations uh, of their predecessors. So this sort of dogged the runestone for a century until it came into my lab that day. Now, I didn't know anything about this. I didn't know what the runestone was. I had no idea what anybody was talking about. I tell people I just, I must have missed school that day because <laughs> I didn't know. Sure. But a lot of people around me did, and it was quite well known. So the, the, the work that they wanted me to do was to try to age date the inscription. And what I ended up doing was comparing the weathering of the inscription with modern tombstones. Well, actually going back to the Revolutionary War era, hundreds of years old. And I concluded it was hundreds of years old and therefore it had to be genuine and it was not a fake. And I didn't know about that at the time. And But once I published my report, uh, the media got a hold of it. And all of a sudden I got this huge negative backlash, like I was attacked personally attacked in some cases. And I said, tap the brakes. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on here? I said, look, I'm not perfect. If I made a mistake, point it out, I'll fix it. Right? Well, that wasn't the issue. I didn't make a mistake. They just didn't like the result. Well, too bad. Right. <laughs> Life doesn't always go. Do you win every game we play at the gym? I mean, I try to. <laughs> I certainly try to. But Dude, you yeah. don't win, neither do I, right? It doesn't always go your way. So, so what happened was at first I was confused and then I got pissed and you know me, I'm competitive and I'm the same way when it comes to research, right? If, if I don't understand something, I'm going to find out, you know, and I'm going to get to the bottom of it. So from 2003 to 2005, I went to Sweden five times because <clears throat> I trust rocks. I don't trust some people. Rocks don't have egos. Rocks don't have agendas. Rocks don't give a shit. Rocks just are. The rock told me it was real. Therefore, everything in that inscription must be consistent with the 14th century because at the end, it's dated 1362. Now, that's 130 years before Columbus. You know, the guy that never set foot on the <laughs> land we now call America that already had millions of people living here? Sure. I mean, that whole notion is ridiculous. But... Anyway, I found everything because the rock told me it had to be there and it was. The and all that did was piss the academics off even more sure. because I had the audacity to go in their backyard to go look for and find what they were too lazy to go look for because it was a hoax. Why bother, right? So you can kind of see the conundrum that I've been in and I'm still in. So at that point, I decided I need to figure out, well, if this thing's real, there are three things that have to be true. Someone carved it. They came from some place in Europe, in this case, for some reason. And so that's what I've spent the last 20 years figuring out. And I have the answers to all those questions now. Yeah, that's so amazing. And I, it's so interesting when I think about 
you know, especially like in your world where someone like automatically assumes something's a hoax because they probably don't understand that. You know, dive a little bit deeper into kind of like, again, you know, understanding like why they thought it was a hoax. And again, you know, how you, you know, navigated that area during that time. Well, that's a great question, Mike. And, and really what you're asking is what's going on? Yeah. Why wouldn't they accept your hard science? Now, let me just back up for a second and tell you, I've worked on murder cases. Um, I worked at the Pentagon after 9-11. I looked at all the fire damage, structural concrete. Um, that was really important work. And I didn't go hustling after it. They called me sure. and assigned me to the Pentagon. And they don't do that unless you kind of know what you're doing, right? So I do have a reputation in this field, and it's a good one. But when I'm working on this mysterious artifact, all of a sudden I'm a donkey, and I don't know what I'm talking about. There are larger forces at work here. The Kensington runestone is a vitally important historical artifact. In fact, at this point, I can tell you it is the most important historical artifact in the history of our country. And I'll get to that in a minute because the people that carved it were the Fugitive Knights Templar yeah. that were put down in 1307, not six decades after this stone ended up in the center of the continent of Minnesota. So what's going on here? Well, what happens is this is a, a huge paradigm shift in the history of not just America, but the world, right? And what I have now learned is that, and this is what led to the TV show. So let me, let me tell you what happened. So I, I, you know, I went to Sweden. I wrote a book with a, with a linguist. Uh, that book is called The Kensington Runestone, Compelling New Evidence. It's 574 pages. We went down every rabbit hole. We chased down every rumor, everything you could possibly imagine about the runestone, and we got the truth. But here's something that a lot of people don't understand about material forensics. If we have voluminous evidence in multiple disciplines, which we have on the runestone in geology and history, language, runes, dialect, grammar, history of the 14th century, history today, history during Olaf Oman's time in the late 19th century, and it's all consistent and conclusive and supports the authenticity of this runestone, then how can there be factual evidence to support the contrary? It can't exist. That's, I mean, that's you follow, like, you follow yeah. what I'm saying? And I, I feel as though when people don't understand things, they automatically assume it's a, it's a myth. It's assume? A yeah, exactly. What happens when you assume? It makes an ass out of you and I, <laughs> something like that. You know? Exactly. Exactly. So I think you get where I'm going, right? And this is sort of what I call the dirty little secret of material forensics, right? I mean, you know, let's say, you know, you're building, you're, you're building your house and you place a driveway, right? And it cracks all the hell. I get that all the time and people are all upset, contractors or homeowners or whatever. And I say, look, the concrete didn't crack just to piss you off. <laughs> it did it for a reason, right? So if you get me a good sample and we do our analysis, we'll figure it out. These things don't just do it because they feel like it. They do it for a reason. And, and we always get to the bottom of it. And so the process of investigation is always the same. Facts, interpretations, conclusions, if you get enough facts, right? And, and that's the way it goes. But there are times when you have to say, and I don't like doing this, nobody likes doing this, but sometimes you have to say, I don't know. And that is what's dogged the runestone for over a century uh, because these academics in humanities disciplines, I work in a hard science field, right? Geology is hard science. Mm -hmm. Humanities are language, history, archaeology, anthropology. Um, you know, they're wonderful disciplines, don't get me wrong, but a lot of it is, is interpretation, right? It's not necessarily hard facts. And so these people are the ones that were criticizing me for not understanding scientific method. And I'm like, tap the brakes, yeah. full stop. What the F are you talking about, right? You're telling me. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that I've put up with. Anyway, so this all evolved. And then um, we actually discovered that there were codes embedded within the inscription. And so what happened was I wrote um, a paper with this linguist about some of these codes. 
And the media got hold of it. And so a reporter from WCCO TV in 2007, I think, yeah, about that time, uh, came in to interview me actually about a murder case that we worked on that was really cool. There was a, a young um, female uh, that uh, murder victim that was found buried in a shallow grave in the desert outside of Las Vegas, totally encased in concrete. And so I got a call from Las Vegas Homicide and they, they said, you know, we, you were recommended to us. We're wondering if you could help us. And I said, what's going on? He told me, I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. I said, how did you find her? And the guy said, well, it's a good question. He said, a guy was out jogging in the desert. I mean, like out in the desert yeah. with his dog. And he stepped on what ended up being the pelvic area of the body which happened to be the thinnest area of the concrete and it collapsed sure. and the dog went in. And so this guy starts reaching in the hole, pulling out bones. Oh God. And he pulled out a femur and he said, this looks, yeah, this, this is a little, a little <laughs> worrisome here. Right? Yeah. He's so he dials nine one one and that's how they found her. And I'm like, God. So anyway, you know, he said, I said, what do you want from me? He said, well, we were hoping maybe you could help us age date the concrete because if we can do that, we can go back to the, time of death. We can look at the missing cases, uh, person cases, and, and, and hopefully identify the victim because you can't do anything in a murder case until you know who you're dealing sure. with, right? So I remember I told the guy, I said, hey, man, I, I got a couple of ideas. I don't know if they'll work. I've never done anything like this, but if you're willing to try, I'm willing to try. He said, we got nowhere else to go. So the next day I jumped on a plane. I flew out to Vegas. I got picked up by Detective Rob Wilson and they took me to the coroner's lab. And, you know, it was like 90 degrees, sunny. And I walk into this building and it's like cold and dark. And there was five bodies laying on gurneys up against the wall. And I walked in and I, they're all naked, various trauma. And I'm walking in and I thought, we're not in Minnesota anymore. Yeah, yeah no kidding. <laughs> so anyway, then they pulled out this gurney with this large yellow oversized body bag. They unzipped it and it was the concrete. And, uh, and there was a, like a paper grocery bag with all the bones in it. It's just weird. It's yeah. like, you know, garbage bag or a grocery bag. So anyway, so I started looking at this, 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 these concrete and there was two pieces. There was, and I figured out pretty quick what they did was they dug the trench, they poured a layer of concrete and then they put the victim in. Then they covered her legs up to about here. And then they put the last placement over her head and upper torso. And, and that's why it was thin real here. There was a gap there. Yeah. And um, so I could tell that the slump or the consistency was different in all three, the water content. And, but what was amazing was the level of preservation of the body. I mean, I could see the cell structure in really? the skin. Yeah. Jeez. So, and I could see the wounds and the left breast had been cut off and, put it on her face. I mean, just like rugged shit. Right. So anyway, we ended up taking samples and then I went back <clears throat> and we looked at the hydration levels of the Portland cement. We looked at the carbonation levels. And I remember I wrote my report and I said, I, I said one to three years. So I sent that off and then, uh, detective or, uh, Monahan, Lieutenant Monahan and Rob Wilson came to Minnesota about a month later, and they were actually investigating a cold case, a 22-year-old cold case where a pimp was dying of cancer, and he had killed one of his prostitutes, and it was her sister that called him and said, hey, are you doing anything on my sister's case? So he, he, they restarted it, and they found this guy, and they basically went up to him and said, look, shithead, you're going to give us dental impressions. And if you don't, we're going to put you in jail. You're going to die there. If you do it, we'll let you die at home. Yeah. And he did it. And uh, the victim had bite marks in sure. the match. So yeah. they solved it, right? But while they were there, they came and toured the lab. And, uh, and, and Monaghan was a hockey player. And I used to play in the men's hockey league up until about five years ago. And I said, hey, you want to go to a wild game? He said, yeah. So I got tickets. We... We went to St. Paul. We went to Allery's Bar. Do you know where that is? I don't. Is it? It's a cop bar. Okay. It's in St. Paul, downtown St. Paul. And so we're sitting there, and these guys are from, they're cops from Vegas, right? 
we didn't pay for a beer all the yeah. time. Yeah. Everything that's you know, the way they, you got to do they it. They take though, care right? of their own, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we're having a beer, and Monahan is, you know, this, he's, you know, dark. He's got a mustache, and he's got this stare, you know, and he's sitting there looking at me, and he just drinking his beer, and he looks at me, and he goes, "So what do you really think?" And I knew what he was asking me, and I said, "Well." I wrote one to three years. I said, I think she's been there about a year and a half to two years. But I know I could testify comfortably at one to three. And he just looked at me and he goes, me too. Yeah. And then we went to the game, the wild one, dropped them off, and they took off the next morning. And I thought, well, I'll never hear from him again. <laughs> okay. Four months later, I get a call. And he said, Scott, it's Monaghan. He said, Scott, are you on your... Computer, I said, yes. He said, go to missingkids.com. I did. And within a minute, I was looking at her face. No way. Oh, yeah. And 17-year-old runaway. She was mixed race, Asian, white. And I'm like, I was blown away. You know, I thought, we'll never solve this. And I said, how'd you do it? And he goes, you remember those molds we made? of the face and the different parts of the body. They, they took like a rubber wax, you know, and they had one of the face and somebody did an, a, you know, an artist reconstruction from that mold and they put it on America's most wanted and they got one call. It was from a woman in Las Vegas who said, I think I know who your Jane Doe is. And she gave them the name. They pulled the dental records. They had the upper and lower jaw. It was a match. Really? And I'm, I'm like, literally in tears yeah you know I, my daughter was like 13 at the time you know and i'm thinking about that so anyway um i said how'd you do it and and he told me and he goes i thought you'd want to know that she was reported missing a year and 10 months from when we found sure. her so right in your timeline right and there, i yeah. said oh my god this shit actually works yeah. <laughs> so i was really proud of that and i wanted to tell you that story because i uh I, i'm waiting for one more phone call yeah. And the last thing he said to me, he said, well, if we make an arrest, he said, would you be willing to testify in the case? I said, what, you think I'm afraid of that yeah. fuckhead? Yeah. Hell yeah. So I'm waiting for that last call. Sure. And I don't know if it'll ever come. It's well, been, I'm so curious. On, yeah. You said the body was actually relatively preserved in there. Do you think that was a key like factor? in? Oh, like, no doubt. Case? No yeah. doubt. Well, I mean, the face, there was an impact wound here. You can see that in the, you know, in, in the mold, but the face, you could see she had, you know, Asian eyes mm -hmm. and, and, uh, so no, no question about it, but, but the quality of the preservation was, you know, because here's the thing, concrete has a very high pH and like the strongest acid that'll burn your skin. The same is true with a high alkyl, you know, something that's highly alkaline and concrete is very highly alkaline. And if you don't, clean your hands off after working with it'll burn you right. in third degree burns. So I thought that that would do the same thing to a dead body, but it, but it didn't, it preserved it. That's why that was blowing my mind. I was yeah. like, like how, how does something say preserved in concrete for, you know, that amount of time that you mentioned? Well, once it sets, it's set, sure. right. And it's there forever unless it breaks down. But I, I wish I was really shocked. I couldn't believe it. And I remember I was looking at the body and I could see these cut marks and I could see the, you know, the mammary tissue was flat and there was a bump here, you know, actually it was depression, which is a negative, right? When you take a mold, you get the negative. So a bump is a depression and vice versa. And um, I remember I was sitting there, the, the corner was right here and Tom was right here and I'm looking, doing my own examination and then i looked on the neck area and i could see that same mammary tissue sure. and then i saw folded skin and i said is that that and the corner goes oh that's where it is he was one of those kind of guys yeah. you know kind of goofy and i'm like oh and then monahan goes i think we're gonna take a break now yeah and we walked out and we just i just kind of needed to take a break yeah i bet and he's standing there and i look at him and go this isn't the first time he's done this is it he goes Nope. He knew more than he was telling. Yeah, me. absolutely. So, so this guy's a serial killer. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and well, it's like you and, go through all that trouble. That's that's how you get your first try at something like. That. Well, you know? I, I but I mean, I you know, I'm pretty good at figuring things out, right? I mean, that's what I do. I I do investigations and I have to solve it, right? 
And so the same thing with the runestone. So anyway, getting back to that. So Maria Oz, who is a reporter for WCCO, came in to talk to me about the murder case. <clears throat> and so I was talking about that. When she walked in, she saw a poster that I had brought back from one of my trips to Sweden. And it was Olaf Oman standing there with the runestone. And she goes, oh. Did you do some work on the runestone? I said, sit down, honey. (laughs) How much time you got? (laughs) Well, she was there for like two hours and she was just riveted. Anyway, turns out her husband, Andy, was in the business or was in the the middle of starting a production company that is now called Committee Films. And he hadn't really started the company yet. And she went home and said, Andy, I met this guy and he's working on, he's doing this really cool stuff and told him about both of them. So then she called me and she said, hey, you know, we might be interested in talking to you about maybe doing a documentary about the Rootstone. <clears throat> and I said, hey, I said, I'm doing a lecture at the Chanhassen Library Saturday, this Saturday. Why don't you guys come and, and hear me out? Well, Andy came, heard the lecture, and then he goes, hey, let's go have lunch. So he sat down and he goes, this would make a great documentary. And I was just starting to get into the, somebody did it for a reason. They came from someplace, all that stuff. And I was starting to get it, right? So I said, well, here's the story. He goes, oh my God, this would make the best documentary. And he said, here's what we got to do. We got to raise $150,000. He said, we'll shoot a pilot and then we'll pitch it. And I said, 150,000, just like that. Yeah, no kidding. So I went to my friends and people I knew and we raised the money. We had like 13 people, <clears throat> but we put in the most. At the time, my wife and I put in the most, the biggest chunk, because I wasn't going to ask anybody to put in more than, right. than we put in. And so then we took the money. Andy Bohakala, he's a camera operator, Ben Kruger, and me, we went over to Europe. We went to Bornholm, we went to Sweden, we went to France, we went to Scotland, we went all over to these places that I thought were part of this story. And we put together a four and a half minute trailer. They went to Real Screen, which is coming up here in a couple of weeks. It's the latter part of January. This is where all the networks and the uh, production companies come and pitch their shows to the networks, right? So they had this four and a half minute trailer. They you know, they'll sit down in like a theater and they'll do a bunch of them. They had six networks that wanted it. Really? Which ones? Well, history, discovery, all of them. This is, remember, this is 2008. Yeah, I think it's 2008. Anyway, six of them wanted it, but history paid the most. So then we got a bigger budget. We put together a two-hour doc that's called Holy Grail in America, and it aired and to this day, it's still the most successful documentary history's ever done. Yeah. Whenever you watch shows that show like Knights Templar, all those reenactments we did, that was from Holy Grail. And that did really well. So they said, is there any more, Scott? I said, <laughs> and I was digging in and finding more stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my God, there's all. So then they did another doc that was called Who Really Discovered America? That did well. And then they said, uh, could we maybe do a series? And I said, Okay. So then they pitched America on Earth. And I remember when we started doing that, I go, I don't know how to host a fucking show. I don't know how to do this. They said, don't worry about it. You can handle it. And we did. So we just, and we did, uh, well, we ended up, we did three seasons on on H2, uh, which is History 2. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, actually, we were the number one show when it was sold to Viceland. Ancient Aliens was number two. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, anyway, they put us on hold in 2015, 2016. And, uh, they, and I remember my agent said, well, I don't know what network doesn't renew its number one show. You're going to go on big history. So while we were waiting, they asked me to do another show. And that one was called Pirate Treasure of the Knights Templar. We did six episodes of that. <clears throat> we had done 39 episodes of America on Earth. And then at the end of filming that show, my agent came back and said, well, they're not renewing America on Earth. And I said, why not? And he goes, swear to God. He said, because your show's too smart for history. <laughs> 
Seriously, that, that makes total sense because it's like everything you kind of see in today's society. Is there's always things like trying to dumb people down, distract them from like what's really going on. And like even like going back to that time, like again, it, it it's similar to like what you're saying right there. Where it's like it's just too smart for everyone. Like, are they really going to watch it? Do so they just want to be entertained by stuff instead of like giving something that's informative and can help you think a little bit more? Well, I mean. It's absolutely true that TV is dumbed down to about a fourth grade level. <laughs> no, it, it just yeah, is, right? So yeah. And, you know, at the time there was stuff like Ice Road Truckers and, you know, Duck Dynasty. And, I mean, look, there's six. Let's, let's be clear, okay? Television is a business. Right. It's about making money, okay? They don't care if it's right or if it's wrong. I mean, there are, the stuff that's happened to me on shows, I've had to stop. I said, look, we're not doing that. That's fucking lying to the audience. I'm not doing that. I'm still working. I never left my job. I went part-time, but I was working throughout all that stuff. And I'm still working because I knew that it was temporary. I didn't think I'd be doing it for, I didn't think we'd do it for three seasons right. for fuck's sake. Anyway, so, <clears throat> so yeah, so that's, that's a frustrating part of it. And I know that they plant stuff. They say stuff that's not true. And, and I wouldn't do that. Sure. And so I said, that's fine. I said, I'm not, because I have customers. They watched the show and they loved it. And all my customers, they loved it. And <clears throat> so, but that's just the nature of the business. So, so we stopped doing that show, but I've done a lot of TV stuff on the side. But then American Earth came back in 2019 and we did an, a fourth season, 10 more episodes. So we've done a total of 49 episodes of, of that show. Then two years ago, I did. 12 episodes of another show called Secrets of the Viking Stone, which was, um, <clears throat> you ever heard of the actor Peter Stormare? I haven't, no. Uh, you remember the movie Fargo? Yeah, absolutely. You remember the two bad guys? Yeah. Remember the one guy who put the other guy? In the wood chipper? The wood chipper? Yeah. That's, uh, that's exactly. Peter, the okay. guy who put Got Peter it. or uh, Stephen Buscemi in the He was the quiet the one. That's there, him. Yes. And he was okay. real quiet. Yeah. yeah. He's a super great guy. And he's done like 300 movies. Yeah. But he's Swedish. Okay. And he was he was born and raised in the town next to the town that Olaf Oman, the guy that found the runestone, was from. Okay. No so he had a personal connection. And I remember when Peter invited me onto that show to be sort of their expert that they would come and talk to. You know, I was like the advisor guy. And uh, <clears throat> he told me that in a, during a break when they were filming Fargo, he made a trip up to Alexandria to see the runestone. And he was so compelled by it. He said, I'm going to do something in the future. Well, it took 25 years, yeah. <laughs> but that was that 12 episode show. That's so crazy. <clears throat> how like small of a world it really is. I, yeah. That's, that's crazy. Yeah. And so I just sent him an email yesterday and told him about this new series that we, that just, uh, you know, was premiered on Monday and uh, we'll go for the next eight weeks. And I told those guys, Hey, Peter, we're, we're still running with it. And so I haven't heard back yet, but that was yesterday. So he's pretty busy guy. He's, yeah, I bet. he's doing some serious <laughs> You do stuff. that many movies, I'm sure you're going to be busy. I, I want to ask a question. Can you explain to our audience like what Knights Templar is? Oh, yeah. Okay. So let's, let's talk about that because this is where it gets into the sort of the, the muddy water, so to speak. So, so the, the, so, and you'll see this in the new show. Um, so in 2015, well, prior to that, when all this research was going on that led to American Earth and all that, I, you know, I, I went to Sweden, all the language runes, dialect, everything that was on the runestone appeared on grave slabs, medieval grave slabs on this island in the middle of the Baltic Sea called Gotland. Gotland is part of Sweden today, and it was part of Sweden back then. And in fact, Gotland is the place in the Baltic region that all the countries, you know, that's where they go for their summer vacations. Sure. It's a beautiful island, and it's big, and but it's got 99 churches on it. And one of the things that we knew that the academics told me was that whoever carved this inscription of that complexity and length in the 14th century had to be a member of the clergy because it was the, 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 the clergy were the only ones that were formally educated. The common people were not, and that's by design to keep them stupid. So they would, the church would tell them yeah, what's up, exactly. right? 
Well, on that island, I went to all 99 churches. That's why I kept going back because I'm anal retentive. I'm a lab guy, right? And it was on these grave slabs, either mortared into the floors in the churches or standing up against the outside of the church. They're they're not outside anymore because they weather away. Um, That's where all the language features were. So I said, well, well, what clergy do we have here? Well, they were called the Cistercians, the white monks that were founded back around 1100. And they had a fighting force that was developed shortly after that by a guy that by the name of Bernard de Clairvaux, who joined the order uh, when there was one abbey at Citeaux, France. He joined the order with 30 family members, including two of his uncles, who were both members of the original nine knights that formed the Knights Templar, including his uncle, Hugh de Payens, the first Grand Master of the Knights Templar. So what happened was they founded the first daughter abbey. He joined in 1113. He uh, founded the first daughter abbey at Clairvaux in France. So that was number two. That's why they call him Bernard de Clairvaux, Bernard of Clairvaux. And by the time he died in 1153, there were 300 Cistercian abbeys all across Europe into Scandinavia, British Isles, into the Holy Land. By 1307, less than 200 years later, there were over 750 Cistercian abbeys. Nobody knows this story, right? It's it's the greatest success story of a of a monastic order in history, and nothing even comes close. Now, people know who the Knights Templar are, right? They wore the white tunics. They had the red cross on their chest. They wore uh, black mantles. But you have to understand the symbolism behind that. Black and white is the concept of opposites that keep things in balance. It's called dualism. You know, good, bad, light, dark, male, female, heaven and earth, that, that whole concept, right? And that's what they believed in. Now, what we're now ready to talk about is the truth about who the Cistercians really were. Now, this is where it gets into larger forces at work, right? The Cistercians were Catholic. They were the, and the Templars were the fighting force, the military arm of the Cistercians, right? That were ruled by the Pope and the Catholic Church. But they were not Catholic. They only pretended to be Catholic. They were actually monotheists that embraced this concept of dualism that goes back to the Egyptians and beyond to the Atlanteans going back 13,000 plus years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what we're, we are now, this will sound weird to you. (laughs) Okay. But we now have permission to talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Because it's time because the world is fucking failing right now. So the truth about what really happened is now coming out and people can take it for however they want. But if they look at the facts, if they look at the truth about history, they'll understand. So what happened in 1100 was that these bloodline and ideological descendants of the Atlanteans moved and founded the Cistercians, founded the Templars, who had the greatest fighting force in the world at that time. They also had the finest sailing fleet in the world at that time. They were trafficking goods. They were making money hand over fist and they got too powerful. But the mission was this. When the order was founded and they captured Jerusalem during the first crusade, right? Now everybody says they did that for Christendom to reestablish the Holy Land for the Roman church. That's bullshit. Okay. The truth was they established a base of operations in the region. So they could go into the various countries, Lebanon, Turkey, um, Jordan, Egypt, to round up stuff that the Atlanteans had left for them and they knew was there. They didn't discover anything. They recovered what they knew was there, sure. which included wealth, history, maps, technology, remains of important people. All of the stuff was rounded up with the eventual goal of moving far to the West, like it says on the runestone, to North America. And so for the next 
not quite 200 years, the order expanded, they became more powerful, they became wealthy, because their goal the whole time was to establish a new Jerusalem, what they also called a free Templar state, which Brother Francis Bacon called the New Atlantis. You've heard of that, right? I so it's, we were chatting about this the other day about like Graham Hancock and like ancient yes. apocalypse and that show. I remember in that show, like there was like I think it was in the Bahamas. There's like a there's like underwater Bimini like, Road. Yes, that's the one. And like when I hear Atlantis, like they're saying like that is like the 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 keys to Atlantis. I was like, no. And you know we were talking. Because, well, that's yeah. that's that's that's. Uh, that's Brother Hancock, but as we talked about, and I don't want to say anything negative about him because he's a good friend and he's a smart guy and he's done some really, really good work. Uh, but lately he's he's been a little bit sort of um, not as connected with, with some people as he should be. Sure. So I think he's he's, he's, he's really helping get part of the message out, but not the whole message. Sure. And that's what Tim and I we're filling in those gaps. Yeah, that's what we were chatting about. You're right. Like, and when we were when you agreed to do this, you know, kind of just going through like what we wanted to talk about, you know, again, you know, giving us like, you know, the information that is, you know, important to understanding yes. what we're looking for here. A absolutely. And 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 that's why, I mean, it sounds kind of I think to some people it's almost over the top, but you know, it's it, and and you know, it's like in the last several years the alien thing has become a thing, right? <laughs> I got a friend that is obsessed with aliens. Yeah, well, so if he hears this podcast, he's going to be all in my head. So. <laughs> well, my point I wanted to make is that, you know, there was a lot of concern by the government that people just wouldn't be able to handle it. It was just too much. But but I'd never believe that. It's like whenever you see receive bad news, somebody dies, right? right. What you, you know, you go into grief and you're you cry and it's terrible and you know but eventually it's like i gotta pick up and move on exactly. right i mean life goes on right and so it's the same thing i mean it's a shock right aliens there's multiple races here what the fuck but yeah and then eventually you sort of get over the shock and you kind of process it and it's like okay i gotta go to work yeah right exactly. you know and and i think that's what's happening here but because it's sort of dribbling out it's not we're not getting the full message yet but we will yeah Cause it's real. Okay. It's real. I'll tell you that some other time, but anyway, so, but what's also important to understand is that the Templars move their treasures West. And then in 1307, the Roman Catholic church and the King of France, a monarchy, um, moved against the Templars. They suppressed the order. They arrested about 600, uh, uh, 600 of them in, in France. But, um, what people don't understand is they had, uh, commanderies all across Europe into the and none of them were affected. They simply went underground. And in 1304, Grandmaster Jacques de Molay, who was arrested in Paris, he basically gave himself up. He was attending a funeral in France, and he was arrested and he was tortured for seven years, and then eventually slowly roasted over coals in 1314. That was that's, more, that's a hell of a way to go. <laughs> that was more painful. But the day that he was roasted. He made a proclamation and he said that before the year is out, the King of France is going to be dead and the Pope is going to be dead. And both were dead. Look it up. Sure. Think he didn't know? I, just, I mean, it's, I mean, you're blowing my mind with a lot of this information. It's you know. facts. It is. It's and all true. Know, exactly. <laughs> but, but, okay, well, finish your thought. <clears throat> well, I'm, I'm just thinking about like, these, this isn't stuff that's taught in school. You know, you think about, you know, mm -hmm. growing up, you know, public education. You know, like it's it's funny to hear you talk about this because again, it's like I'm I don't know anything about this. And there's a reason for that. Yeah, you've been told bullshit, right? <laughs> We've all been told bullshit. That was the premise of America on Earth. I mean, my tagline that I said at the beginning of every show: sometimes history isn't what we've been told, right? And it's not. And this is one of the most important stories for us because we live in America. So what happened after the put down, right? The church agents went into the uh, treasury of the Templars in Paris, France, and everything was gone. Then they went to the western port of La Rochelle, where they had 18 ships, and they were gone. And they disappeared into history. And if you read about it, that's it. Well, that's, that wasn't the end. It right. was just the beginning of the next chapter. So what happened is those treasures were taken to Scotland. 
They went to Kilwinning in Scotland. Then they went to Weems Caves on the east side in the Firth of Forth, just north of, of Edinburgh, Scotland. And then in 1395, the first load was taken over to North America. They were hidden in multiple places, including on Oak Island. Sure. And then in 1395, the next batch came over and they were delivered. <clears throat> and then they built the Newport Tower and they did a bunch of other stuff. They brought a lot of the descendants of those Templars and they stayed in North America. What a lot of people don't understand, and the reason we don't know about this, this is the part where the church freaks out. There were no Templars that survived. Bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Bullshit. I am a Templar. I know what happened. What a lot of people don't understand, when the Vikings came over around the year 850 up through just after 1000, they were assholes. They did not get along with the indigenous people. Sure. They said, fuck you, we're going to do what we want. Right. Right. That's not how it works. You're on our land. So the Algonquin nations met with the Iroquois, the warriors, and they said, look, you're going to have to deal with these white people sooner or later. They said, okay, yeah. they wiped them out. That was the end. The Templars came over about 50 years later, but they were initiated. They understood and they respected their indigenous brothers. And they met in Lodge. I've been in Native Sweats. They practice Freemasonry just like we do. It's the same thing. In fact, it's a more deeper, richer, more impactful form that they practice. And so what they did is they bonded through ritual and a mutual understanding, a mutual respect. And they became their blood brothers. This is what I was told by the medicine men when I was in sweat. I had to earn the right to ask my questions. Sure. And when that time finally came, he said, Scott, <clears throat> ask your questions. And I said, well, I want to ask you some questions about the Knights Templar. And he said, you mean our blood brothers? Yeah. And I went, well, this is going pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and it did. So, and, and, and strategic intermarriage. So when they stayed, they married into these tribes. They went native. Okay. They didn't convert them to Templars, right? They went native. Well, it's fascinating, <clears> too, <throat> that, that when you say, like, hey, they went in there with an understanding, like, hey, we're not just going to wipe you out. We want to get to learn your culture. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, you're embedded. There's an understanding. It's You know, you don't see that in this world today. No. I think everyone's, like, everyone focuses on our differences rather than how we're all the exactly. same. Exactly. And, you know, and, and this is one of the reasons why, as a, as a Freemason and a Templar, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that the Templars, a lot of people don't know this, but there was a, um, one of the Grail legends, you know, uh, it's called Parsible. I don't know if you ever heard of it. But in this legend, uh, and it's a story, and it's all allegorical, but one of the points that comes out of that, and this is in the mid-1200s, 13th century, is the concept that every human being, regardless of race, color, creed, religion, sex, is born with certain inalienable rights. Where have we heard that before? Is it like the like constitution? It's in our constitution. Yeah. <clears throat> but it's a Templar tenant, okay, that goes back to that time. So when, and, and if you look at the Templars, and if you look at Freemasonry, we don't care what color you are. We don't care what religion you are. We don't care. You have to make certain statements about <clears throat> the type of person you're going to be. But the bottom line is in, in Lodge, in my Lodge, we have a Bible, we have a Torah, we have a Koran, we have a Buddhist Bible, and I was the one that put an eagle feather on our altar because our native brothers, take they talk about the great spirit, right? Because at the end of the day, regardless of what you call deity, what you call God, whatever you call it, we're all talking about the same thing. Yeah. Right? Yeah, the higher power. The higher yeah. power. And what you call it, how you venerate it, what you do to achieve your spiritual, that's your business. Right. It's nobody else's business. And it more. sure as hell isn't a church's right to tell you it's, you know, Christianity is the only true religion. F you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> F you right? How you venerate it, what you do is your business. Now, if you get along with other people that do things similar, good for you. But at the end of the day, that's, it, it's up to you. Right. And so when we meet in Lodge, 
We don't talk about politics and we don't talk about religion because these are the things that divide people. We focus on the things that unite us, right? And at the end of the day, colors your blood. Yeah. Colors your blood. Yeah. Still red. It's all red. Still red. <laughs> Even our race is different. Our age is different. Our sex might be. All of our blood is red. And so that's what we forget sometimes. And we get caught up in this, this bullshit. And, you know, I was very fortunate when I was young. My dad was, a, was an airline pilot. And so I had the opportunity back in those days, in the 60s and 70s, I just say, Dad, I want to go to Florida. I want to go to Washington. I want to do this. Here's a pass. And I'd go. Yeah. And I would meet different people, right? I know what my buddies in high school think, right? I know exactly what they think. But I go to different countries. I go to different parts, just the different parts of our own country. Things are different, right? right? People think differently. They have different food. They have different, you know, cultural, religious things. And you learn and you grow. And guess what? Sometimes the shit they're doing is more fun than what you're doing, you yeah, know? Absolutely. And so I learned that as a young age. And I love traveling and, and going to different parts of the world. The only frustration is I, I'm just not versed in other languages, sure. you know? But there's all you, you always find a way to communicate. So anyway, I just think that's something that, that people need, need to be aware of. But anyway, getting back to the Templars and the bond that they formed with the indigenous people, that's what allowed them to travel anywhere they wanted in both North and South America. I mean, they didn't fight their way to Kensington, Minnesota, right? right? <laughs> yeah. They traveled with their brothers. Yeah. And so that's the dirty little secret that the church doesn't want you to know. And that's why the runestones are fake, right? But it, it, it becomes more important than that because the mission with the treasures was to eventually establish that sanctuary that new Jerusalem, the free Templar state, the new Atlantis here eventually when the time came. That time came in 1776. Fact, 53 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence were master masons. Sure. They were also Templars. They just didn't tell us. Isn't this like the premise of the movie National Treasure? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. It's and funny. In fact, me, me and my girlfriend watched it like a couple of weeks ago and she had never seen the movie. I'm like, you're going to love this. And I was watching it. I'm like, it's kind of a cheesy movie, but like. No, it is cheesy. But like, yeah, like the, the message behind it and like, you know, learning about like the, the Templar Masons and <clears throat> all this history that, you know, is right in front of us, but it's probably hidden. It, it, it still blows my mind to this day. It's always kind of been one of my favorite movies. Well, and in fact, there's more truth than fiction in that movie. I mean, the basic premise is the story I'm telling yeah. you, and it's absolutely true. And somebody trickled that story down, and it ended up in Hollywood. But that goes on all the time. I mean, you know, the, the whole alien thing, we've been getting prepared for that for a long time with the Outer Limits and Star Trek and yeah. you know, all these shows. No, I'm yeah. telling you, yeah. they were clued in. Gene Roddenberry, um, Star Trek, he was a 33rd degree uh, Scottish Rite Mason. Okay. And he was being clued in by our military. And basically the whole story of the, the alien stuff with the Prime Directive and it's, it's all true. Yeah. You know, that stuff blows my mind, too. Because, again, like, I remember, like, when I was young watching the actual Treasure, I'm like, ah, this is all kind of like a made-up story. And then when I hear you talk about it and, like, re-watching it again, I'm like, you know, it, it is crazy because, again, like, there has to be, like, this, you know, bigger meaning to everything that is going on in the movie. You know, like, all these hidden messages. And, you know, again, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be, like, a, this huge mon monstrous treasure at the end. But, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of answers that we're all looking for. In, yeah. in that stuff. So. Well, I, I, no doubt about it. And really the, the, the story, and this is the story we're going to tell through these documents that we have and what we, you know, we're places that we've already been to. But in 1776, actually it was before that, it was 1769, <clears throat> the treasures were recovered. And that money was used to fund the revolution. Sure. But the artifacts and the remains and all that, those were part of the consecration of this new Atlantis, this new Jerusalem, and those things we have, like skull of John the Baptist, skull of Jesus. Hate to break it to you, he didn't rise in the dead. <laughs> yeah. 
distillery. That's the tenet of the Roman Catholic Church, right? That's mm -hmm. the fundamental tenet, right? In the words of one of the cardinals, this myth of Jesus has served us well. Yeah. The Roman Catholic Church is the antagonist in this story, right? They're the primary funders of the Smithsonian Institution that has been lying to us from the beginning. They're the primary funder of Wikipedia, which lies like an MF, okay? Yeah, it was funny you say that because I, I remember doing some research and you know there was some back and forth between you and folks that have written your Wikipedia page. Do I have that right? Oh, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and again, like a lot they, of us- like, All my shit's been, been suppressed. <laughs> yeah. It's all suppressed. I'm not right. kidding. Yeah. There was a guy who has a blog site that wrote a blog on every single episode. Guess guess who's paying him? Who's that? The church. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And he puts lies out about sure. me. And you know, it and I remember the very first episode we did was the Maya Blue episode. And I went on the, you know, I mean, I'd never done a TV show. The first thing I do is I go on the internet and I just want to see the feedback. And everything was great. And then I get to this fucker. And I'm like, Oh, wait, no, no, he missed the whole point. Right. And I went on his blog and I said, no, uh, actually it was this, this, and this. And, and then the jackals came. Yeah. Oh my God. I went, okay, this isn't serious. This isn't real. This is crazy. It, it, well, anyway, so, but that's going on, right? But at the end of the day, <clears throat> that's these, this is how our country was founded. And the reason that we have separation of powers, separation of church and state. Um, the, the people are born with certain inalienable rights. And uh, last I checked, we fought the revolution against a monarchy, right? Yeah. Um, this goes back to the experience that the Templars had back in the 14th century. That's exactly why those things are there, right? But then you've got these crazy Christians and, and I'm not saying all Christians are bad, right? It depends on what kind of Christian you're talking about. But I mean, these, these fundamentalist Christians that are attacking and, and saying, well, we need to have a national religion. Our founding fathers would roll over in their graves if they heard sure. this shit. The people that are representing us don't understand the Constitution at all. And part of the reason why we're doing this work, why I'm doing this work, and I'm saying this shit, and I'm not fucking around anymore. Yeah. I'm getting right to it because we need to have straight talk to tell us what happened. Do we want to go back and be a monarchy and put Trump in charge? Right. Are you kidding me? <laughs> a, a national religion? No. Hell no. You can be any religion you want. Christianity happens to be the dominant religion, right. but that doesn't mean everybody has to follow that dogma. And it goes back to exactly what I just told you. And so it's important because you can't go forward intelligently into the future until you truly understand where you've already been. Right. And we have forgotten our own history. And they nobody knows this history, right? It's only now coming out. Right. But does it make sense to you, Mike? Yes, it does. And what does the, it fit in your brain? It does. And okay. you know, I love hearing differences of opinions. And you know, it's it's funny, you know. I myself was raised uh, in in the church uh, as a Lutheran, and as I've gotten older, the more things that I learn, the more you know information that I take in. It's like I I have kind of just walked away from like the Christian faith, and it's like it's not that I don't believe in a higher power, but it's like why is this one religion right on everything where like another religion like it doesn't and like that shit just doesn't make sense because they're not exactly it's and, not. and the way you explain it you know again it, it kind of reinforces my views on that where it's like good. i believe in a higher power i believe you know just be good to people you know i think that should be like kind of the focus and let's find ways to unite us rather than ways to divide us and Again, I, I feel like you, you see it all the time in like, you know, the church, you know, with like their problems with pedophilia, you know, the problems with, you know, all this, all other stuff across the world. And then it's like all one religion attacks another religion. One country attacks another. It's like it's happening right now. Exactly. The Middle East is blowing up because right. I mean, and I remember I had this conversation with somebody and I it was it was one of my Jewish friends. And I said, OK, so help me understand this. So Hamas attacked Israel, right? They, you know, rape, pill, you know, I mean, atrocities, right? And they said, we're going to keep doing it. We're never going to stop. We don't care. We hate them. This is what we're going to do. 
So you're telling me Israel does not have a right to defend itself? Right. I mean, I'm not an advocate for Israel. I just, this doesn't make sense to me. So Israel is saying, okay, fuck you. You're, we're going to kill you, and we're not going to stop until you're done. Because you said you're not going to stop until we're done. Right. So guess what? It's on. And I, I, you know, and I don't have the answer. And in fact, I don't even like talking about it because the minute you start talking about this whole thing with Israel and Hamas and the Palestinians, you're going to lose. Yeah. Because someone's going to be offended yeah, no matter no what you say. No so I, I just say, look, this is the facts. Is I, is this correct? Okay. Well, then I understand why they're doing it. I don't have the answer. I don't know if they should take them out forever or I, I don't know. All I know is this shit's been going on for like uh, almost 2,000 years and there's n there's there's no relief in sight. Right. And it's just tragic. And I, 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 I don't know how to solve it other than educating people and, and getting the story right. Here's what really happened. Here's what their goal was. We want to have a place where people can get along. Like we had the worldwide culture in Atlantis. Yeah. And I'll make a prediction right now. Okay. Guarantee it's going to come true. The pyramids in Egypt, the pyramids in Central America, South America, in North America, we have them here too, all across the world, right? They're getting older and older and older and older. They keep pushing the timeline back, right? That's going to keep happening. And what you're going to find out and what we talk about on the show and what is there, I was just invited to speak at a conference in May uh, called the Cosmic Summit. And the basic premise is, is that there was a cataclysmic event that happened about 13,000 year, 13, years ago. It's called the Younger Dryas. We're survivors. They lived underground. This is a city of Atlanta. It's not a city. Well, that's it's what a they culture. Say, yeah. No, that's what they say. It's that's like bull. a land. Or like no, no, sea. no. And it's sunk into the sea. Yeah. Yeah. That's bullshit. That's, that's totally Aquaman, right? Yeah, Aquaman. <laughs> no, that's not what happened. Um, but when the glaciers did melt and the sea level rose between th three to 400 feet, a lot of those cultures that were living on the coastlines, that's where the food is, right, were drowned. So um, that's where everything is. It's all underwater. In the yeah. So anyway, but, but what I wanted to tell you was the Atlanteans knew this cataclysm was coming. They hid all the stuff. Mm -hmm. They left the clues for some day, and the Templars picked up the mantle, and now we we are carrying carrying it today. I saw somewhere this. This could have been like I was like looking at YouTube or something, but like they there's like like a scientist or someone like claimed that they may have found Atlantis, and it's like it's like in the desert now. Yeah. You, you know what it's I'm a circular about? structure. Yes, it's yeah. in it's in North Africa. Yeah, yeah, in in. Yes, I know what you're talking about. No, that's a geological formation. It was not a city. Yeah, and that's what, like, again, like, it goes to, like, you know, having a difference of opinion and, like, just, it's okay to question someone's research. But, like, show me, yeah, show me the archaeological evidence exactly. and I'll go there. Yeah. I can give you the geological evidence yeah. of what that is, but, uh, but I can see why somebody would get excited about it because a lot of the AI depictions mm -hmm. of, Atlant of Atlantis, if it's a city, now, they may have had cities that were circular that had the different rings and, and all of that, and uh, that's fine. But it's, that's, it, that's not what's going on. Yeah. Atlantis isn't a place. It was a worldwide culture. Sure. And so they were the ones that built all these pyramids. Sure. And, and a lot of them have been added on to over time. I mean, it's, it's complicated. And like the Ark of the Covenant, there isn't just one Ark. Yeah. The secret of the ark isn't where it is. It's yeah. how to make one. Sure. Right? There's a lot of them. And six of them were brought over by the Templars, at least in one batch. Yeah. We have those records. Well, hey, Scott. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in here recording again. Yep. So uh, as we wrap up here, first of all, thank you for sitting down with thank us. Thank you, here. man. You know, uh, talking to us on our podcast. So, like, one thing I always like to ask folks is like, you know, if you think about yourself when you were young getting into this, like what advice would you give to, you know, folks that are interested in this area? Well, I mean, I think the simple answer is for any young person, you know, follow your passion, follow your dream. I mean, whatever it is that you, you love, follow that because, you know, I, I think, you know, making money and, um, you know, raising a family, if that's what you want to do and, um, that's all good stuff, but I, it's more fun if you're doing what you enjoy. Yeah. And, and that sounds simple and it's obvious, but it's it's really true. And I'm I feel so grateful 
that I met somebody like Charlie Match, who inspired me in geology. And it probably was already in my brain because it was so logical. Everything fit. And it was just so, it just worked for me. And I was, I'm so happy that I was able to find that and learn and then work in that field and eventually have it evolve into what I'm doing now. I could never have dreamed sure. that it would go like this. And so I'm, I'm very fortunate to have had other mentors in my life too. But I, I just would say to young people, follow your passion, do what you enjoy. You're going to make a living. You're going to survive. You're going to get by and you might as well have fun while you're doing it. So yeah. do what you enjoy. And it's a simple thing, but it's, it's really true. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And you know, again, uh, thank you again for joining our podcast. Plug your show one more time. Tell okay. viewers where they can find it and yeah. uh, when it when it airs. Well, uh, the new show that we're doing is called Mysteries of the Knights Templar. It's airing on Gaia streaming service. So you can just go plug in Gaia, G-A-I-A, -A, and it'll come right up. Uh, Monday, the first two episodes premiered. I watched them. They cut it together. It was really good. Um, and uh, there's eight more episodes that are coming on Monday. Day after tomorrow will be episode three, and then every for the next seven weeks, eight weeks uh, on Mondays, the next episodes will air. And I think it's really good. And we dropped some big bombs. We've talked about some of them today, and um, you'll see a lot more. But there's there's more coming. We're working on doing some some bigger, uh, you know, Hollywood based stuff, and we'll see how that comes along. In fact, before you guys came, I was just talking to those guys about that. And um, actually, America on Earth is airing again on Roku. And uh, I know on YouTube, you can see the episodes. I'm getting all kinds of emails. It's like deja vu all over yeah. again. I'm getting these questions that were asked. I'm like, dude, I did that 12 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but it's good. I think it's it's actually more germane now than it was back then. I think people sort of knew that we were being lied to, right, by the powers that be. Today, everybody knows we're being lied to. So a lot of the things that we covered back then are relevant today. And I'm really glad and I'm proud of the fact that that show is standing the test of time, you know. And so I encourage people to watch America on Earth. And if you want to read my books, go to hookdex.com. I do have a blog. If you want to talk to me about my blog, ask me questions. I answer all questions. It's Scott Wolter Answers blogspot.com. So I, I invite you to come on there and punch me out all there you, you want. <laughs> all right. Thanks again, Scott.